Welcome to JD Power's Innovating the Customer Experience podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with JD Power, and with me today are Mark Miller and Scott Killingsworth, also both with uh, JD Power. Mark and Scott, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Hey, so the topic for today's podcast is customer experience transformation or, or CX transformation, let's shorten it. And when we do these things, we always like to start off with a definition. So uh, Mark, if you want to take it, and Scott, if you want to um, uh, add any color, uh, when we say CX transformation, what do, what do we mean? Yeah, what we're really talking about is how to build a continuous improvement machine within an organization, right? Something that has as a ecosystem, as a culture, as an operating standard, how you constantly understand customers' uh, wants, needs, desires, anticipate those, and quickly, as quickly as possible, set expectations, meet expectations, exceed expectations in a continuous fashion. So it's more than just saying, hey, we want to be customer centric. You have to literally to pull off a true, um, you know, customer experience transformation. It has to be built into your DNA. And so that's that's what we mean by customer experience transformation. Yeah, and I would just add that, you know, transformation implies that you have to know your performance level, right, through some objective standard. I know JD Power customers have our syndicated studies. They know how they perform relative to their uh, industry competitors. Um, clients within our customer service advisor group have our benchmarking, or it can even be internal, but you, you have to know your performance level and, you know, to transform, you have to have an aspirational goal or, or, or where you think you need to be or want to be. Um, so I would just say that's kind of part of it. You have to know where you're at um, kind of before you know where you're going. Uh, and I think that's true from a transformation standpoint. Okay, thank you. Um, so so let's talk about the types of challenges we see because we, we see a lot of these CX transformation uh, efforts going on across different industries, um, but they're never easy, right? So um, the I think the types of challenges uh, would include things like budget and resources. You need money and people, right? Uh, but another big aspect of it is um, aligning alignment, getting the organization aligned uh, in the face of competing priorities. Um, so Scott, Mark, uh, does that resonate? Uh, any other types of challenges? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first and Mark can chime in. I think one of the, I guess I'll take it from a, you know, we, we have seen a lot of uh, transformations or attempted uh, transformations as the case may be. And, you know, we often see one big differentiator of those that are successful uh, amongst others, uh, but, uh, typically organizations that have the support uh, all the way at the top of the organization uh, tend to fare, fare better than, than those that, uh, that don't. Uh, and that support, Mike, you mentioned, you know, it could be budget. That's kind of the basic. It has to be funded. But there are other types of support, 
um, right? And usually we see, um, you know, this transformation uh, goal or objective, but the company is still measuring, um, you know, the same metrics. They're holding people accountable for the same metrics. Um, reward, recognition, incentive are still on kind of an old paradigm. So unless uh, that type of support is given, uh, both in terms of, you know, changing what's measured, monitored, uh, what's rewarded and recognized within the organization as you're going through that transformation, it's very difficult to transform uh, if there aren't changes to that to that basic uh, level of support uh, and measurement. Yeah, the thing that I would add on there, um, Scott, to your point in terms of executive leadership, is you have to have visibility at the top, and it has to be extremely frequent, right? It's not enough for somebody to send out a memo, and I'm going to oversimplify here and use hyperbolic language to make a point. Hey, send out a memo. We're going to transform. It matters to us. Um, and, you know, hope that it happens. This is one of those things where you have to, where we've seen it be successful, is you have a leader who is out there, um, very visible with it, it's part of their specific function within the organization, uh, if not permanently um, in a temporary standpoint, you know, to get the organization over the finish line. So that creates accountability that also integrates vision, right? This person actually becomes the living embodiment of the vision to transform from current state to a future state built around customer desires, market needs, et cetera, et cetera. And that communication has to be very, very frequent. So that would be around the alignment piece that you mentioned, uh, Mike. The budget, as Scott touched on, is an absolute requirement. But here's the good news. With most successful uh, customer experience transformations, the net result is a net positive to one's bottom line, right? Um, part and parcel that we've seen of successful transformations when you look strictly at operational cost is the reduction in total cost per customer because, at least in our paradigm, we look at things around, um, you know, first contact resolution and ensuring that you are picking up, increasing your first contact resolution, especially in your assisted channels. So that can yield this, you know, that's why FCR is, you know, known as the golden metric because it simultaneously increases uh, customer satisfaction and reduces cost. But, you know, true customer transformation is aligning your organization around what customers needs. And so you are going to pick up revenue so, so budget, though it is for sure a hurdle, a well-thought-out uh, customer transformation project that yields a true competitive advantage, always pays for itself. And so, um, you know, I'm not saying that it's not a consideration because you're talking about, in some cases, dropping tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in the investment, but... It almost always, in our experience, has paid off in terms of market share. And we'll talk a little bit about 
you know, one of those companies later on in a case study that we would chat about. Yeah, th- thanks for that. Uh, I think in a, in a minute we're gonna we're gonna speak to some specific tactics. Before we get to that, though, um, I want to double click on the challenges question. And um, yeah, everyone thinks that CX is a good idea. So why is it so hard to get the the organization to rally around it? What, what, where are these challenges coming from? I can start here and Scott jump in. You know, a lot of the times. You, you have the realities of human beings and the remnants of organizational structures that create this silo, these silos. I know that we've been talking about it in management circles for literally decades, but it still exists. Politics still exists. We're dealing with flawed human beings. And so you're always going to have those challenges. And if, again, you don't have very strong leadership, number one, the vision isn't clear, too, and to Scott's point, that your incentives and controls are not aligned throughout the entire organization, your transformation efforts won't succeed. So there's a lot of planning that has to go into it before you embark on it, and that includes buy-in and very detailed explanations when you're talking about people's compensation and incentives around how this fits in and how the company is going to benefit and how they're going to benefit from embarking on this challenge together. And then that's wrapped up in the vision. And the other thing I would say, and I'll invite Scott to jump in here. I know he and I have worked on a lot of these and he'll have plenty to say about this is the fact that oftentimes the forgotten ingredient is the frontline involvement, Right. If you have a customer, if you got a customer experience transformation uh, project engagement going on, and you are not involving those on the front line, you are not going to be either successful at all or as successful as you can be. So that's another key challenge, Mike, in addition to the silos that can be eliminated by very strong leadership. Uh, constantly and, con- and consistently uh, communicated uh, vision. Um, and then the alignment of incentives and controls. And then that last ingredient uh, that is absolutely paramount is integrating the employees on the front line into the entire process. And what we see when that happens, of course, is that if folks feel like they are being valued, and they should be valued because they're the people closest to the customers, their input is being integrated, and you close the loop on the feedback presented, what's being implemented from the front line, where the front line knows and understands that they um, are being valued, then what happens is you have incredible speed of execution because the front line resistance to management asking them to do something where they didn't give input on is significantly reduced. And so, Scott, I know that we worked on some things there. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, I think you hit on it involving the front line, but, you know, it's also communicating constantly to the front line, right? You can't over communicate, um, you know, keeping them um, up to date on progress, uh, sharing challenges 
you know, don't be afraid to um, share those with your front line because they know, I mean, they know the challenges of the organization. Um, and oftentimes we see um, when there's a lack of continuity um, in leadership, sometimes that kind of erodes the, uh, you know, the confidence of the front line that these changes are going to be lasting, right? There's an organization, I know we, we've worked with one that was very successful, one that might not be um, as successful uh, because, you know, there's a constant change in leadership and priorities, focus on different metrics, you know, maybe two or three times a year. Uh, so you've got to get over that hump uh, with your front line that this time is going to be different. Uh, and, and it takes, uh, like, you know, like I said, it takes communication over communication and doing things differently um, than in the past. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground there. So, so Mark, we talked about breaking down silos. Uh, we talked about leadership, vision, incentives and controls, communication, the importance of frontline involvement. Um, wondered if, if we had a, any kind of advice for somebody who's leading, who's been charged with leading a CX transformation. Uh, they've got a, a CEO or, exec, or, or executive leadership team mandate to do it. Um, but how, how, what tactics uh, can that person use to ensure that they've got buy-in from their peers? Uh, so, and, and maybe a good example would be the recent um, announcement by Delta Airlines that they're investing a billion dollars into free Wi-Fi. And when you think about the conversations that must have been had behind the scenes at Delta uh, about that, the use of that billion dollars, because that billion dollars could be used for a lot of things, right? It could be used to buy more airplanes. Uh, it could be used to invest in uh, better uh uh, experience at the airport um, could be you know, partially to eliminate bag fees. There's a lot of different ways that that billion dollars could be spent. So, so if if you're the uh, the person who's got the mandate, um, what are some things you can do to get, to get the other lines of business or, or other parts of the organization to to go along? Yeah, I think that the first thing, again, what's mandatory is this clear vision around building an organization uh, designed to serve customers and address customer priorities. You know, that example that, so that's number one. And once you have that very strong uh, leader and a clear vision that's being communicated. And then if you are doing your appropriate incentives and controls, you will have a very natural pull in terms of people's choices of activities, um, their choices of topics, talking around the water cooler, whether actual or virtual, um, because the org is clearly sold out to try and compete and win based on CX. Now, one thing I would say about Delta is that, you know, that's an organization that if you look at our research, and they actually used to be a certified company with us uh, on the customer service side. So people calling into their call center, you know, that's a company that certainly is dedicated to the customer experience. So they have a culture that is built around it. So they have that vision, and now they're trying a layering effect, right? 
which is you aren't going to necessarily overtake your competition and move from a highly commoditized environment to an environment that can have pricing power and can compete and win based on one element. So to me, the Delta conversation was around, you know, the the next biggest bang for their buck in terms of when a customer thinks back on the entire experience and thinks thinks back in this day and age around how convenient it was to fly, how easy things were. Um, that is an area that really stands out. I mean, it's uh, it, it's something that shows a very clear commitment to the passengers themselves. So I think that we can't underestimate the PR value uh, involved in, in essentially using that as a catalytic point across their entire strategy. Um, and another element, of course, that's embedded in all this is technology. And so um, in this case, you're talking about consumer-facing tech, making that easy. Um, we could have a whole nother conversation around technology that enables the customer experience that in today's day and age is absolutely key to any customer transformation. That would just be an output, again, based on the priorities where your particular organization sits relative to competitors and your strengths and weaknesses. But, um, you know, in this case, to me, it's like I mentioned, it's an enabling factor that's layered on to their other prior commitments around the customer experience. And uh, it just makes it easier to fly uh, with them. So uh, I think that's probably some of the things that help the organization as a whole buy into it. Yeah. And I would just add, you know, if you look at our syndicated studies across all industries, um, gosh, over the past several decades, you know, you look at those companies that are number one, um, almost regardless of industry, and they're not the best at everything, right? But they knock something out of the park, right? And there's always a benefit to it. Um, Mark, you mentioned, you know, thinking back on the experience and it being memorable in a positive way, uh, so you now you could see Delta making the decision, you know what, we're going to make that flight experience memorable. That's going to be our differentiator for other companies uh, over the years. Uh, it might be service, right? We're going to invest in having the best service experience because perhaps we have a gap um, somewhere else, um, you know, within the product or its service. So we're going to make uh, our customer service, we're going to knock that out of the park, right? So. You know, I think when people are thinking about transforming, think about the organization and, um, you know, what are you doing that's world class? And maybe, you know, service uh, might be your opportunity for transformation. In Delta's case, they may, made a decision for it to be flight experience. For another company, uh, you know, if you're wireless, uh, it could be, uh, you know, the mobile app or the network coverage. But... Uh, regardless, you need to understand, as I mentioned previously, you need to understand what your level of performance and what your goal um, and how it aligns with your strategy, uh, the company's overall strategy. So, um, you know, that's that's been my observation over the years. Okay, so um, without naming names, I, I wonder if we could speak to uh, maybe a, a, perhaps a case study 
of a brand that was not at the top. They were in the middle or perhaps even in the, in the you know, below average in their industry. Uh, they took on a CX transformation and, and successfully completed it and, and, and got to the top. Um, so if we could pick one uh, that we've worked with uh, and are at least familiar with in the past, uh, uh, what kind of challenges were they facing? How did they address them? How, how, did, how did they successfully pull off that CX transformation? Yeah, I can just start off here. You know, we've mentioned a lot of key components that this particular organization, who's a large multinational company that everybody's heard of, um, you know, moved from really lowest, lower performing, very low quartile up to top performing. And, you know, many of the elements that we talked about were present there. Strong leader, cost communication, frontline integration. The other thing that I think helped was the openness in this case to the organization, to the notion of transformation, and we can't do it all ourselves. That's one thing that we see with many of these companies who don't execute quite as well is there's this natural reticence of, hey, if we get help, that is an indictment on us. With this particular organization, they sought help, but but we we worked with them in such a way, Mike, that we actually created these teams to help them gain the skill set required to use customer data to create priorities, to identify root cause, and to do it at a very granular level to the point that each individual location started to get their own data, started to then transform their own particular gaps, right? So it wasn't this overarching spread peanut butter over everything because we found, especially in complex organizations, that any output that is dependent on multiple sites has a high degree of variability. Well, conformity is not equal to consistency. You want to create consistently excellent experience, and that means dealing with the local workforce, right? All the dynamics that are involved in there, the local management team, some have great experience, others don't, others are more dynamic, others aren't, and you have varying level of experience. So um, you have to, the point in all that is that you have to apply general transformational experiences down to a granular level, which they did. They also created these teams that allowed them to travel and to constantly help their own organization tweak and improve as they integrated VOC data into their operations, identified the gaps, and then addressed those um, gaps. And they had, um, you know, incredible, uh, incredible push from the top to align all of their, what we call the triad, right? So they did an expert job of saying, here's our quality program. So we're identifying essentially what customers care about through our VOC. We're then operationalizing that, excuse me, through the quality. In other words, what we're looking at in terms of behaviors, 
Then we're integrating that into a specific coaching model that focuses on the biggest gaps on a per site basis. Um, and then we are, uh, you know, building uh, compensation and uh, controls, reward and recognition all about those same elements. And when you apply all of those, it was very successful for them. And they they'd made this transformation for as, as huge of a company as they are relatively short period of time in about 18 months. But Scott, what, what other fee, I know that I just, you know, hogged all the airtime there when we are thinking about this particular client. Yeah. I, you know, one of the other things that was very impressive, and again, this was from top down is you have to have openness and honesty. Uh, people have to feel safe uh, in being open and honest. And I, I may get this wrong, but I want to say it was a coach and be coached um, mantra that was true for the sea level. They lived it. They modeled it uh, all the way down uh, to the frontline supervisors, to the agents, uh, coach and be coached. And there was no, um, there was never any retribution for openness and honesty. Um, so I think that's uh, the other key. And Mark, I think you you touched on one key is that this particular company had um, armies of consultants dropped in. Um, and then once the consultants left, then, you know, it would just go back to the state it was before. So, um, you know, teaching the company um, you know, how to do this work themselves, um, I think was key, uh, again, because oftentimes an external, uh, you know, third party will come in, do a lot of the work. And then once they leave kind of that knowledge, know how, um, you know, impetus drive, um, all of that leaves, uh, when the consultants leave. And so that was one key is that, you know, they truly did integrate, um, you know, a process of transformation uh, into the organization versus uh, just making it a one-time activity. I think that was key. Yeah, that's an important point. Um, I just wanted to, to double-click on, on the timing issue. I, I recently interviewed an executive, CX executive, who has taken an org from bottom quartile to top, top quartile twice successfully, and she's now in her third one. Uh, she told me it takes it took about three and a half to four years to get from bottom quartile to quartile. Uh, Mark, you'd mentioned eighteen months. Is that is that eighteen months to move the needle, or was that to get to top quartile? Well, no. In this particular case, it was actually to move, and they achieved some you know incredible things. And I I think that that you know was testament to their commitment um, to the process to using the data and really narrowing in. You can't do everything. So, you know, to to Scott's point, this company was sold on the notion that, hey, we're going to be different because our service is going to be different. Then they were sold on the efficacy of the data. And so that was another thing that brought down the silos is because it it's like the customer is telling us the truth. People, whether we want to believe it or not, they bought off on the fact that we have a single source of truth 
And it wasn't open. That part of it wasn't open for debate. To Scott's point, there was always openness to debate to coach and be coach, which was a key part of their culture. But they aligned everything, made large investments. Um, We were a part of that investment. They had some enabling um, technology. But, you know, they were willing to, at one time, align everything around the voice of the customer and the one source of truth. And when you start to do the triad around quality training and coaching, and that's aligned with reward and recognition, you will get movement. And so that was an extreme example. I mean, uh, in today's day and age, depending on the size and the complexity of the company, I totally agree with the executive's assessment, I recently had uh, articulated to a client that, in my opinion, it would take them, you know, half of a decade. And in another case, it would take them 10 years if they weren't, if they were only going to take this on in an incremental fashion. So you have to be sold out for it to move quickly. And even when you're sold out because your competitors are not standing still, it's still going to take a long time. So I appreciate an executive who has that perspective in terms of being realistic. Um, okay, so, so why don't we wrap up with a call to action? And uh, we usually like to do this around conversation starters. So what questions can the listeners to this podcast take back to their organization to start a conversation about CX transformation? Yeah, I'll give you one question here. So it's, it starts off general and then it moves into personal. So the general question is the, the simplest of all. When you sit back and you think to yourself, what is keeping us from coming together around CX? That's an okay question. But what you really need to ask is what is keeping me Personally, so as a leader, as you look across functional leaderships, leadership within the organization that you know runs everything external facing uh, to internal facing on the operations side, it's those leaders saying, what is it that's keeping me from coming together around this and then executing customer experience transformation is key Um, And then comparing notes, but looking at yourself introspectively first and then having open dialogue around what you're observing about yourself and your organization is uh, one key element that kind of is a paradigm shifter for most. It's, uh, you know, when you can't blame anybody else and you're asked to look at yourself, it creates a uh, interesting dynamic if everybody's doing it and they're doing it in a safe environment, like Scott mentioned. Yeah, and I would just add uh, part of that is really understanding, you know, asking the question, how, what is my level of performance in an objective way, right? And, you know, many uh, of our clients uh, compare themselves to others in their industry, and their industry, to be honest, might not be uh, that great of an industry altogether. So if you're comparing yourself to those in your industry, um, you know, you might be missing um, opportunities for improvement or an open, honest assessment of really where you're at from the eyes of your customer. 
because your customers are holding uh, you to the expectations that are created by uh, someone else out there, right? So we like to say a great experience anywhere influences expectations everywhere. And so unless you know uh, exactly where you're at against the best uh, out there, it's really difficult um, to kind of start that transformation journey. That's all that I would add. Well, Scott and Mark, uh, thanks so much. Uh, th- and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah thank you, Mike. And we want to thank our listeners as well. And we'll see you next time.